0: Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Folks, I believe the only hope for America lies right here in this verse, Proverbs 14, verse 34. Again, it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's not just what God said but it's what he is saying today. It's what he is saying to me and to you, and I think it concerns this nation as well as it did the nation of Israel. Today in America, some say that we are living in what is called the post-Christian era in America. You know what that means? That Christianity has had its day, it is passé, and we're moving on to something else. And that's the attitude of so many people in our nation today. Those who used to be considered good old-fashioned, decent Christians, because we believe the Bible, now we're labeled as religious nuts, the religious right, fundamentalists, zealots, wackos. We need to ask ourselves today, and I ask myself this and I'm concerned about this, what kind of nation are we leaving our children and our grandchildren? That ought to be our question on a daily basis. Now, there are people who say, well, the most important thing we have to deal with today is the environment. That's the main problem. Others say, well, the main problem is not the environment, it's economics. You know what I think it is? I think it's ethics. The greatest problem that we have in this nation today is ethics. I had much rather leave my children a godly heritage and a godly nation rather than leave them great wealth to be squandered by a godless nation. Something terrible has happened in America. For further information, just check your local newspaper, okay? I know you have to go online these days to check it, but check your local newspaper. And there are two great dangers that we face as the people of God. And the first danger is this, that we will just get a live and let live attitude. That we'll just retreat. That we will just, as one man said of the church that he was attending one time, we're just trying to hook in and hang on till Jesus comes. That's one attitude that we could have. But listen, that is impossible. We can't do it. There's no place to hide, folks. We are right out here in the open There's a man named Martin Niemeyer. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany prior to and during World War II. Because he opposed some things that the Nazis wanted done, ultimately Niemeyer was put into prison, sent to a prison camp. He eventually ended up at Dachau prison camp. He survived. And after World War II, he would go about speaking to people And he would always close his speeches with this quote. First they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me we can't run and hide we can't be silent we must speak up we must tell people the Word of God and share it with them and share with them the things that we believe that the Word of God teaches that's the first danger that we would just go into hiding the second danger is this that we will substitute a political agenda for the gospel of Jesus Christ one thing that does not get preached from this pulpit is politics You want to know what my politics are? You ask me later, I will tell you. Okay? You will not have to wonder where I stand in the political arena. But we don't preach politics here. There's so many things that Satan would like to substitute for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some churches substitute sacramentalism. Some substitute rationalism. Some substitute education, and the new thing is to substitute psychology for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in many churches today, a political strategy is being substituted for the gospel. But I'll tell you, the great need in America today is righteousness. Amen. Being right with God, being what God would have us to be, doing what God would have us to do. Listen, we, and I think we can, I think we have the greatest or one of the greatest military forces upon the face of the earth. I think we have technological advances in our military that some of us don't even know about. Okay? And so I think we have a great bit of faith in our military. But if we defeat our enemies and fail to have a spiritual revival, folks, we're still doomed as a nation. Amen. America's not going to be destroyed, I don't believe, from some enemy without. I don't even think America is going to be destroyed from some enemy within. I think America, when and if it is destroyed, will be destroyed by the debauchery that exists in this nation. That is permitted. That is almost become normal in this nation today. You know, Alexander Hamilton once said this. He said, we get the kind of government we deserve. Now, you just think about what we have today and you can make your decision on that. But something wonderful happened July 4th, 1776. A declaration was made. And after that declaration was made, sometime after that, a constitution was formed. And in many ways, our constitution reflects the values of the word of God. Just think about our constitution. But we're doing things today that our founding fathers never intended for us to do. We're allowing things and saying, well, the Constitution says it's okay that our founding fathers never intended to take place. The Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia. And it declared independence from Great Britain. We're not going to have the king rule over us. We are free and we are independent. But what many people fail to realize about the signing of the Declaration of Independence, it was not only independence from Great Britain, it was a declaration of dependence upon God. Amen. Think about how it starts out. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And those rights are life, and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You say, what does inalienable mean? I like this definition. Inalienable means this. It means it is unable to be taken away. It's unable to be given away. God, and what they're saying is, these rights were given to us by God. Government didn't give us these rights. God gave us the right of life, and liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it closes This way, with a firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. You know what divine providence is? That is a reference to God. Listen to it again. A firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. You know why we have survived? And I'll refer to these again in just a second. But you know why we have survived a revolutionary war, civil war, two world wars, Korea, Vietnam, and several other skirmishes in between? You know why? Divine providence, folks. Amen. And then it says, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Amen. The signers of the Declaration of Independence, folks. These were not homeless rebels. These were not a ragtag group. Of men. These were well-to-do men who surrendered their fortunes that we might have a nation where we have liberty today. In fact, on the Liberty Bell is inscribed the words from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10, Proclaim liberty throughout the land. And you know what they said in that declaration? Just think about it again. Endowed with our Creator. They said, God created us. You know you can't even teach that in school today? Our own Constitution says that God created us, and you can't even teach that in the public schools today. Our inalienable rights are given to us by God. And so there's three things I want you to see in this message this morning, and I'm going to try to go through it quickly. It may be a little lengthy, but hang with me. First of all, going back to our text where it says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. First of all, righteousness is the exaltation of a nation. What is righteousness? Again, it's being right. It's conforming to God's will. It's conforming to God's word. And you see, righteousness and liberty are inexplicably interwoven. You cannot separate righteousness from liberty. We have righteousness in Christ. But guess what we also have? We have liberty in Christ. Righteousness and liberty go together. And the reason that we're in danger as Americans of losing our liberty today is because we are losing our righteousness. Amen. Righteousness is responsibility assumed. See, we live in a day when nobody wants to be responsible for anything. I think yesterday or last night sometime, I posted on my Facebook page a little blurb from Vance Havner, one of his sermons that he preached about responsibility. And he says, everybody today is talking about my rights, my rights, my rights. He said, nobody talks about their responsibility. And that's the way it's happening in America today. Righteousness is responsibility assumed. The more responsibility you assume, the more liberty you have. Just think of this example, a baby. A baby doesn't have any liberty, does he? That baby is picked up and carried and taken wherever you want that baby to go. That baby has to be fed and changed and all of these things, bathed and carried from here to there. And that baby doesn't have any choices. That baby doesn't have any liberty either. But as that baby grows, and as that baby learns responsibility, maybe by doing chores around the house, maybe by cleaning their room, y'all do that, don't you? I'm glad to see some head shake, yes. I hope you're being truthful with me. I wouldn't suggest that you wouldn't be. But cleaning your room, maybe mowing the lawn, maybe doing other things around the house. As that baby learns responsibility by doing chores, what happens? That baby gets more liberty. And ultimately, we give him or her, we give that baby, that child, now that teenager, the keys to the car, which is a sign of almost total liberty. Those of us who are parents of grown children now know that once they get a car, you're not going to see them much. They can go. They can do. They have this liberty. Learn this. It's taught in God's Word. The more responsibility we assume, the more liberty we're given. We have more or less liberty due to our character. Due to our righteousness. When we abuse responsibility, and maybe some of you teenagers have experienced this. When we abuse responsibility, what happens? We lose some liberty, don't we? Ever heard the word grounded? Okay, I just want to make sure you're familiar with that term. That's a loss of liberty because of not assuming some responsibility. And listen... I said that there's a problem in America, and it is our problem with our character. And when there is a demise in character, there will almost always be a growth in government. When character is diminished, more laws are assumed to be needed to create a character that will fit in with the society. You can't be irresponsible either as an individual or as a society and expect to remain free. Our government began with the dependence of own God. We've already shown that. The Constitution was written by people of character for people of character, and it will only work for people with character. From 1740 to 1770 in this country, preachers were going up and down the eastern seaboard, and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there was a time of revival in this nation. Churches were built. Character was placed in the heart and in the mind and in the bosom of our founding fathers. If you study their writings, you will see that they were imbued with a great belief in the Judeo-Christian ethic. That's where many of our laws come from. Out of that character came the Constitution of the United States of America. The founding fathers believed in living responsible lives and living righteous lives. And therefore, if people would do that, they believed the best government was the smallest government. So they formed a republic, a government of law and of representatives. Where the people would elect representatives and those representatives would know the minds of their constituents and would lead the country in that manner. But you understand that those who represent, even today, those who represent us, those that we elect and that we send to Washington, D.C., are there only by the will of the people. And if you don't like your representative, there's an answer for that. Next election, vote somebody else who you think conforms to what you believe we ought to be as a nation and what God's Word teaches. It won't work any other way, folks. Someone says... Why, well, you're, you're just a preacher. What do you know about these things? Well, I did take some government classes in school, you know. I took some government classes in college. But I'll tell you what, let's hear someone who does know about these things, all right? Who knows who James Madison was? He was the fourth president of the United States of America, okay? Learn your presidents. He was the, he was the architect of the Constitution, and listen to what he said. He said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization, not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. You know what he said? We must govern ourselves And we must govern ourselves according to the word of God. According to the ten commandments of God. Not according to government. Not on the basis of what the majority says. Not on the basis of some poll that's been taken that says so many people believe this and so many people don't believe this but govern ourselves on the basis of the Word of God and especially the Ten Commandments. And we have many among our leaders today who say those Ten Commandments, and it's happened, those Ten Commandments mustn't come down from the courtroom wall. Those Ten Commandments must come down from the school classroom wall because somebody might be unduly influenced by looking up there and reading that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, that you shouldn't have any other gods that you shouldn't kill, that you shouldn't steal, and and all of those things that the Ten Commandments say. So today, thanks to many, sometimes in our educational system, the Ten Commandments are out. Well, what replaces it? X-rated humanist literature is in, folks. Madison was saying, listen, it will not work unless you use it as it was intended to be used. This constitution will work but only if we govern ourselves and we govern ourselves by the word of God. But liberty is also responsibility assumed. I said righteousness is responsibility assumed. Liberty is also responsibility assumed. You know where real liberty comes from? I know it comes from the Lord. But you know where real liberty comes from? It comes from within. You say what do you mean by that? Here's what you do. If you want real liberty you take the cop off the street and you put him in your heart. You let the law of the land, the laws and those that are based on the word of God, you let that rule in your life. The less God rules in your heart, the more you're going to have rule from the outside upon your life. Remember the baby I was talking about a moment ago? What happens when as an adult, he fails to obey the law? He commits a crime. What happens to him? He's locked up. He's put in jail. In other words, he loses his liberty. His liberties are taken away from him. Why? Because he didn't let the law rule in his heart and be obedient to the laws of land. Now, when we as a nation believe this, what happened to us? When we followed these principles, what happened to us? Well, we had an industrial revolution. Great wealth was created and produced in this country. Why? What made America different than so much of the world? Because God blessed America. He's given us wealth. I talked about our military a moment ago. He has given us military might. He has given us great technology. But we seem today not to have the will, the desire to follow him and to follow his word. Righteousness is the exaltation of a nation. But if righteousness is the exaltation of a nation, reproach is the humiliation of a nation. What does it say? Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. America is living in reproach today, folks. And the American dream is dissolving right before our very eyes. Why? What has happened? Listen to our history again. We came through a revolutionary war, and God blessed us. We had to go through an agonizing civil war. But God brought us through that and we were united once again. Then we faced World War I. God blessed us there and we got ourselves back together and God gave us victory. Well, what happened then? Instead of giving God the praise, and that's where it should have been. Instead of giving God the praise, we wanted liberty without responsibility. You say, why do you say that, preacher? Because think of what followed. The Flapper Age came. Now, if you want to know what flappers are, you look it up. The Roaring Twenties came. All of these things began to happen. We failed to understand that our blessings were from God. And then the Great Depression came. And when the Great Depression came, it was because we have failed to understand that our blessings came from God. That He had given us these things. So after the Great Depression, the debauchery began and loss of character began to move in. And you know who we turned to? The government. We said, let the government take care of us. We asked the government to help us out. And so all of the great social programs in this nation began. Everybody said, this is wonderful. Look what the government can do. There's an article, and I meant to bring a part of it and I failed to do that, but there's an article that says when the populace realizes that they can vote themselves money from the national treasury, then the nation begins to have trouble. We can put people in office and they're there right now. You got in your stimulus check? I guess they're working on a fourth one now. We figured out we can vote ourselves money out of the national tr- All we have to do is just increase the deficit, Right? Look what the government can do for us. Look at what the government can give us. But remember, the government can't give you anything without taking it away from you or someone else. You know, they can print money, but just because they print money doesn't mean they necessarily have any money, okay? So the government began to grow and get bigger. This small government that our founding fathers established began to grow and get bigger and began to redistribute the wealth. And they always take theirs off the top, right? By the way, those of you who received stimulus checks and had a refund coming at the end of the year, you didn't get as much as you thought you'd get, did you? You know why? You got a payment on that when you got your stimulus check. So the government takes theirs off the top and they take theirs from others. And when we lose character, folks, we lose freedom. We seem to have forgotten that from our teen years. And we have watched in America as one fence post after another has been set up around us. And we continue to eat out of the government trough. We've turned into a welfare state. In the 1960s, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev visited this country. And he was being shown certain places. I've always thought it amusing that they one of the places that was on his do not go list was Disneyland. I don't know why. But he was shown this country and he made the comment that one day, listen to this, one day, he said, you will wake up and you will all be communists. It's not going to happen with a revolution like it did, maybe with the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, but it will ease in. And folks, it's gradually happening in our nation. We have become that welfare state. But not only does government begin to provide and then control, if you're not careful, government can begin to oppress. I know this is different from any kind of message I've preached from this pulpit, but I think it's necessary today. Government grows as strong as the weak will of the people will allow it to grow. We sit back and we do nothing. Remember what Alexander Hamilton said? You get the kind of government you deserve. And we sit back and we do nothing and we say nothing and we vote nothing and we elect people who stand for nothing, we're going to get nothing. We may still have a lot of freedoms, but folks, we're living in the shadow of a government that was founded by our fathers and our forefathers. But that shadow is quickly receding over the horizon. There's an article I post every so often on my Facebook page says I miss the America of my youth. And I do for you young people let me tell you how it was you say you're living in the past no this is the way it ought to be we started the school day with a pledge of allegiance and you didn't dare refuse to say one nation under God we started it with a prayer and we started it with a verse of the Bible or verses of the Bible being read and we weren't afraid in the evenings to go out and play outside afraid there would be some pervert some pedophile that would come and grab us and go off with us we had security. We had liberty. But again, as the demise of this nation, and the demise of character in this nation has taken place, I would not let, when our children were growing up, they hadn't learned to ride their bicycles in the driveway. We lived right near a highway. And I said, somebody could grab you and be in the next state before I realized you were gone. That's how terrifying it is because of loss of character in our nation today. And if we don't do something, if there's not a spiritual awakening, folks, if we don't return to the nation that God allowed us to have, the middle class is gone. You know, when I first started working, Joni and I first got married, I considered us to be, based on government suggestions, All we were middle class. You know what we are today? We're upper-lower class. Things have changed. We'll have two classes. We'll have the very rich And we'll have the very poor. I have seen that down in Mexico City. On one corner you have this palace, almost palatial house. And just a block behind it, there's people living in cardboard boxes. Visit some third world country and you'll see what we're talking about. The very rich by and large will be those in government or those who have government connections. And they'll be very rich. And the rest of us will make up the masses to keep it all going. As character diminishes government grows and as this continues the middle class goes. Well what's the purpose of government? Just turn to Romans chapter 13. We're not going to take the time to turn there but just turn to Romans 13 and read it. You know what the main purpose of government is according to the word of God? It is protection for people. The main purpose of government is to punish evildoers and to defend the land. When you get the idea that government's not here to protect but to provide, you're in trouble. You're in difficulty already. Our founding fathers said our government is to provide for the common defense and to promote the general welfare. It didn't say provide the general welfare, it said provide the common defense. When you have a welfare state, you're getting away from the teachings of the Word of God. You know what the book, I believe it's 2 Thessalonians, says? It says, If man won't work, don't let him eat. The government is here to protect. Someone said this, and I shared this just recently. We are in deep trouble when we look upon our government as a cow to be milked rather than a watchdog to be fed. I want a watchdog. Well, once government begins to provide, it begins to control, and it begins to impress, and it wants the minds of its adherents. See, to keep the rank and file in order, you've got to control their minds. You've got to control their thinking. Well, how do you do that? You start with the children. I haven't been in a classroom in a while, but I would almost suggest to you there's things being taught in classrooms that I was never taught. And I'm not talking about computers either. Here's what you do, you take the 10 commandments down and you put values clarification in. You teach young people that there's no real standard of right and wrong. That you can't depend upon the Bible. It's not a good reference point. You begin to talk about the glories of the welfare state. Then you talk about a one world government and a new world order. That's how you change the minds of the children. And children grow up in a nation that our founding fathers never knew. I just wonder if some of our founding fathers were alive today. What they would say about good old God bless America. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to tell you, I love this nation. I told you, I get a tear in my eye and a lump in my throat when I look at that flag. That's the most beautiful flag in the world. Amen. But what would our founding fathers say? Adolf Hitler said this in 1920. Now, you remember, he didn't come to power for a little while after that. But in 1920, he said, give me the minds of the children. And in one generation, I will give you the fascist superstate," And he did it. By the way, Stalin did it too. Out of our educational system with compulsory education, the Bible's out, prayer's out, Ten Commandments are out. Oh, creation is out. Humanism and in sex-rated textbooks, as I said a moment ago, are in. Now, a professor at Harvard University said this. Now, this is a professor of educational psychiatry, At Harvard University, listen to this quote. Every child in America entering school at the age of five is mentally ill because he comes to school with a certain allegiance toward our founding fathers, toward our elected officials, toward his parents, toward a belief in a supernatural being, toward the sovereignty of this nation as a separate entity. He's saying our children are sick when they start school because they believe America first. Because they believe in God. Because they believe and have an allegiance to their parents. An allegiance to elected officials. And here's what else he said. He went on to say, It's up to you teachers to make all these sick children well by creating the international child of the future. Young people, you see when I said this deals with your future really more than those of us who are older. A magazine called The Humanist said this, we've got our Sunday school classes five days a week and we're going to bring in a new society. And listen, Hollywood and the media have an agenda for this nation and it's not the agenda that you and I ought to have for this nation. Amen. You say, you don't like Hollywood, do you? No, not a whole lot. <laughs> okay. I've been at war with them for a long time. The government provides, the government controls, the government oppresses. Why? Because of the lack of character on the part of the people. That's why. Because we are not what we ought to be. The truth is, God holds me and you responsible to teach our children. And we send them off to school to be educated. We don't know what education they're going to get. But I tell you what, we can teach them at home. But again, we, we ought to teach our children. We ought to teach our children the Word of God. We ought to teach our children about this nation. We ought to teach our children about the heritage, the godly heritage of this nation. We ought to teach our children about the history of this nation. There's a very sad verse of Scripture. And it's not going to be up on the screen. I've shared it with you several times before. But to me, it's one of the saddest, saddest verses of Scripture in the Word of God. And it's over in the book of Judges and the second chapter. And here's what we're in danger of. Remember, in... Joshua chapter 24, Joshua made that great speech. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all of the people agreed to it and said, amen. And and, and we're not going to do otherwise. We're going to serve God. Joshua and that generation died out. And listen to what verse 10 of chapter 2 in Judges said. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. We are one generation away as a church from heresy. We are one generation away from going out so far that God says, I'm going to remove your candlestick. See if these young people, and listen, they're not that young either. They're getting very close to being considered adults by the state, whether mom and dad consider them that or not. And when they're considered adults by the state, guess what? We lose in many ways, except unless you apply the feet rule, we lose our parental authority. You say, what's the feet rule? As long as your feet are under my table, you do what I say. If you don't want to obey me, get out and get your own place You know, provide for yourself. But when they turn 18, and we've got many young people who are getting close. If we don't get the word of God in them, if we don't get them to understand why we are what we are, why we serve God the way we do, and why we're faithful, and why we love the Lord, folks, they're going to be like this generation in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. They won't know the Lord. But by the same token, as citizens of this country, they need to understand where it came from and why it is and why God has blessed this country. The teaching is to go from God to grandfather to father to children to their children on down the line. And we are responsible. And again, if you don't believe that Hollywood and the media and social media have an agenda for this nation, I have some swamp land in Arizona I'd sure like to sell you. Righteousness is the exaltation of a nation. Reproach is the humiliation of a nation. But folks, revival is the restoration of a nation. I appreciate our ladies. I love that song, If My People... And that's why I quoted that verse, if my people now he's not talking about all of America when he said he was talking to Israel. God was talking to his people in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. But by application he's speaking to us today who are his people, saved people. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, that's the hardest thing to do. It is hard to humble yourself, isn't it? That's okay, you can say yes, I know it is. Say, Preacher, do you have a fight with being humble? I'm not going to tell you. Because then you'd know. Yes, I do. Sometimes. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. That's the first thing. You're not going to pray and ask God for anything until you humble yourself. Until you say, I can't. I can't. I can't. God can. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. What do you want, Lord? How do you want it done? And turn from their wicked ways. You say I'm not wicked. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. But we still have a problem with sin sometimes. Those who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then. Then will I hear from heaven. And forgive their sin. And will heal their land. We want our land healed. And so we want to elect the people who will go up to Washington and heal our land. Wrong. We want our land healed. Well, we're going to just demonstrate and, and get on Facebook and talk about how bad things are. Wrong. America needs a new birth of freedom, but it will never have a new birth of freedom until we have a revival of righteousness among God's people. The key to America is not in the state house, it's not in the White House, it's not in the Pentagon, it's not in the courthouse, it's in the church house, and it's in my house, and it's in your house. I hope you believe that. I hope that's not mere rhetoric. You see, we are salt, and we are light. People say, well, we believe in separation of church and state, all right? First of all, that phrase is not found anywhere in the Constitution of the United States of America. What it's saying is we don't want our tax dollars subsidizing religion. As Americans, we believe in the freedom to worship God as our conscience dictates. You say, but some people are wrong. Yes, some people are wrong, but they still have that liberty. And I'll defend their liberty to do that because if I want to stop their liberty and stop them from worshiping God the way their conscience dictates, the same law can be used to stop us from worshiping God as our conscience dictates. Our founding fathers never believed in separation of God from government. I just believe that there should be no national religion, and government shouldn't control religion. They, we believe there must be righteousness in this nation, folks. The Lord's church is to be the salt of the earth. Well, what does salt do? First of all, it preserves. So if we, if America is rotting, guess what? The salt hasn't been doing its job, has it? Salt preserves. Salt cleanses. It purifies. It penetrates. You know what else salt does? You just eat you a bag of popcorn. Salt creates thirst. Are we creating thirst for righteousness in our nation today? Are we creating a thirst for rightness with God in our nation today? And by the way, we don't have to be a majority. Hey, folks, we're salt. Now, I get accused, and you know it, I get accused of being a saltaholic. I'm trying to cut back. But it doesn't take much salt to flavor something, does it? If the salt will just do its job. I've had some stuff called half salt. I've had some stuff called light salt. It's not salt. I figured out with half salt you use twice as much. It's okay. (laughs) But we are salt. We don't have to be the majority. But Jesus said, if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Salt that won't salt anything is good for nothing. Be thrown out on the footpath and let you walk on it. That's what he's saying. Do you know why the Lord's churches are being trampled on today? We've lost our saltiness. We've lost our savor, as Jesus said. As I said last week, we, we don't mind coming in here into our little enclave and being Christians. But what about when we get out there? That's the mission field This is just a gathering of like-minded folks who love the Lord and want to serve him and worship him. We tolerate sin in our very midst as God's people and we are cast out and we're trampled on under the foot of men. It is time to let the salt do its work. Jesus also said, you're the light of the world. It's time for the light to shine. Listen, revival can happen and is needed in the darkest of days. And we live in some pretty dark days today. Has America gone too far for God to save her? You know, I deal with that question quite a bit and in my own mind. and Sometimes I think, well, maybe we have. But then I have to remember this. God is all powerful and we should never underestimate the power of God especially if His people are willing to pray and willing to trust Him and are willing to obey Him. If doesn't sound like good grammar, but I think it is, there is nothing God can't do when God's people will pray and trust him. I'm gonna close with this. It's time for every born again American to say, there is a God and righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. There is the exaltation of righteousness There is the humiliation of reproach. And there is the revival that is the restoration of a nation. I want to leave my children and my grandchildren, folks, a godly nation. That's what I want them to have. And I believe that's what you want for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, if you have great-grandchildren. And here's my prayer. God. Grant it, please. I would hate to see this nation swept into the dustbin of society's past, of societies that turned their back on God. And today they're suffering because of that. Folks, I can see if we continue on our present path, the same thing happening for America. And it breaks my heart. I love this country. I love the liberty that we have, and you do too. You say, well, but Jim, what can we do? Number one, pray. Humble yourself before God and pray. The Republicans aren't gonna save us, the Democrats aren't gonna save us, and the independents aren't gonna save us. If we are saved as a nation, God will save us. So get on your knees before God and pray let me make this suggestion go to the first chapter of Nehemiah and read the prayer that Nehemiah prayed there in the first chapter of Nehemiah about the nation of Israel pray to God along those lines for this nation seek God seek to share Christ with others put away you say I don't do anything bad well hallelujah thank the Lord for you but if you do put it away so God will hear our prayers. Can one church save the nation? I don't know. But we can have a strong influence in our community. And we ought to be praying for it too.